0: The goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors.
1: Welcome to Absolute Empowerment. I'm Coach Jeff Connors. Tonight we have with us Coach Udon Cheek, and Coach Cheek is the uh, assistant track coach at East Carolina University, majoring in sprints and hurdles, and uh, I have known Coach Cheek for a several decades now yes, uh, when i first came to ecu uh he was an athlete and also an aspiring rapper mm-hmm. and uh has done well in both areas and uh has been coaching at ecu for quite a number of years now uh great to have you on the show you
2: Great to be here, coach. Uh, anytime I can uh, be a part of uh, sharing information that will further the cause, uh, God use me.
1: I hear you. What we're going to do is uh, I'm probably going to have maybe a three-part series on speed development. And, of course, uh, uh, we have that equal passion for speed, uh, learning speed, applying speed development techniques, and and going through all the different uh we've been to clinics we've been to conferences uh i've been all over the country with this thing and so have you so (laughs) so we're always always looking for some uh some way to gain an edge uh i'm currently just working with individuals uh but i had a lot of uh general i guess you could say general application concepts that i applied that i thought were very successful over the years for me yes sir and uh so I want to kick that around a little bit, but before we get into nuts and bolts, I want to talk about You Don't Have Cheat. I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, your story uh, growing up, which is something we do with our, with our guests, uh, because uh, this is a faith-based podcast, and I love to hear stories about overcoming adversity through faith uh, as a young man, as an athlete. So... Uh, if you could maybe talk a little bit about growing up, where you grew up, how you got involved with athletics, uh, who were some of your mentors and some of your influences, where your faith was concerned.
2: Well, um, I was born in, uh, well, I'm from Manassas, Virginia. Um, my mom had us at 16, 17, 19, and 22. Um, it's interesting, but because I was the one that she had at the age of 19, um. I was probably more so raised to assist my parents by my grandparents. So uh, we were, we were in Haymarket, Virginia, and um, I got a chance to see, you know, old style living, uh, well water, outhouse, uh, cinder block house, no air conditioning, tin roof, uh, growing our own food. Um, you know, I'm little kid and I'm snapping, snapping peas and, Snapping beans and shelling peas and shucking corn, but uh, I just always remember um, the sense of family. Um, I was raised in the church. Uh, there's, there's 100 percent. You know, it wasn't a Sunday that I wasn't going to be at church. But um, as I got older, um, when my when my dad came home from, uh, let, me, let me back up real quick. Um, my dad was away in the army. When he came back, they could afford to keep me. So. They brought me back to live with my uh, parents and I watched my dad take us from, you know, the home of living with my grandparents to living in the ghetto um, and then just working. He's a policeman, just working hour after hour, double shift, moving us to uh, uh, a town home and then still working hour after hour, um, you know, getting us into a really nice, predominant, uh, predominantly, I wouldn't say wealthy, but Uh, Above average income uh, lifestyle of living. And uh, the whole time that he was working, working his butt off, I I didn't realize that uh, what I was learning through sport. They put me in uh, Little League football, Little League basketball, um, soccer. And um, that's how they kept me preoccupied. I didn't know we were struggling, but I watched my dad just work his hump uh, to just uh, get us higher and higher. And before you know it, I, I seems like a blink of an eye. We go from you know the outhouse to you know a really nice neighborhood. Uh good good uh good neighborhood a lot of uh support um but uh just i guess i guess like anybody coach c um just start off in a little league and then a little little league turns into high school and you know fortunately high school turned into college um but as far as my faith goes i don't think um I don't think I quite understood what my faith meant until I got into college and I had to apply it on my own. Um, you know, I went to church because I was supposed to. Um, I don't think I quite knew who Christ was until I felt like it was alone, t- Till I felt like I was alone. And then I found out I was never alone. He was always there with me. So I uh, hope I haven't rambled there, but uh, it's, it's typical. I, I got a chance to, uh, uh, you know, go from little league to high school to college. And, uh, I don't know. It just, it's kind of, kind of hard to wrap up my head all around it right now.
1: Yeah. Well, the whole, po- whole uh, purpose of this podcast is for you to ramble. So ramble on brother.
2: <laughs> and,
1: uh, so, we, uh, you know, we love
2: to hear the stories here. Uh, well, i tell you what my sister, uh, let me, let me, let me uh, back up a little bit sport wise. Um, I wanted to play football. Um, I was exceptional at it in league. But Coach C, I broke my collarbone, broke my back, and tore my Achilles tendon. And so when I got into high school, um, by the time I was on the field, it was too late. Coach already had his favorites. And I know people say, well, you know, you know, Coach is going to play the people that can help him win. He didn't because <laughs> I should I have been on the field. But uh, I broke my back. I tore my Achilles tendon, broke my collarbone, didn't get much of a chance to play at the high school level. So track was just a backup plan uh my sister uh Angie and my sister Tanya they were phenomenal at track phenomenal at track and field, but I didn't want to be Angie and tanya's little brother so um uh i I kind of steered away from track at first because you know I wanted to have my own thing, but after I uh got injured that many times, you know I had to fall back on track and thank God um that I had enough speed to you know get me to college gotcha
1: well uh, of course, I was familiar with your career and uh, while we're talking about faith and talking about mentors and coaches, let's go ahead
2: and talk about coach Carson so coach Carson um uh coach Benson, I think it was coach Benson when I was in high school, I ran fast enough to win um I was always faster than uh my times but I didn't know that you had to have fast times to get a scholarship. I just thought if I won all the time, I was going to get a scholarship. So I went to Coach Benson, uh, told me to go down to ECU to uh, just, you know, make myself known to Coach Carson um, because I was, uh, had, didn't have a scholarship yet. I was getting to the end of uh, the school year, uh, 87 uh, at Stonewall Jackson senior high school. And um, I went down to see Coach Carson and uh, he loved the fact that I had a very high GPA. Um, he said that my times weren't good enough to get a scholarship, but that if I placed at the state championship, that he'd give me a scholarship. Um, but on hurdle number four um, at state championship 87 in, uh, in Virginia, Todd Stadium, man, I'm in second place. Coach C about to make a move on this guy. Um, and I hit hurdle number four, not paying attention, trying to catch a guy in front of me. And I fall. So I'm in the infield, just bawling my eyes out, you know, thinking that life is over because I'm not going to get a scholarship. Uh, But uh, nonetheless, Coach Carson still gave the opportunity to me to walk on. And um, from day one, uh, he gave me opportunity to prove myself really hard on me. Coach Carson was really hard on me. I I was definitely treated like the stereotypical walk on uh, that you see on TV where they uh, just kind of always pushing your buttons. Um, but love coach Carson from the sense that he knew what it took to get the most out of me. Um, you know, he didn't say much to me, just, you know, too fast, too slow. And right there, if I asked him a question, he'd say, well, did I say anything to you? And I'd say, no, sir. well, then what I'm doing is good enough. You're getting better, aren't you? You know, he just kind of always put me on my place, but I had, it, w- it would keep this chip on my shoulder it made me mean as a snake and I could compete and work out with the best of them coach. But, he brought the best out of me. I went from 51 seconds in the 400 to 46 high so uh, I, I appreciate everything that he was to me um, a great mentor in the sense of he he knew how to get the most out of his out of his guys He wasn't the same with everybody um, he was the same man but he knew what to say to push your buttons to get the most out of you he would say things to me like, uh, cause I eventually earned a, a scholarship, but he would always say things. Oh, I'll find somebody else to replace you. You're, 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 you're okay, but you're not that good. And uh, man, just <laughs> every year I came back better and better and better. No compliments, just a little bit more money on my scholarship. That's the close thing. I got to, to a compliment from that man, but uh, gosh, I loved him coach. See, I, I miss him now miss him now he's he was uh even even when i became the sprint coach here um you know I, I would check in with him after every single meet and uh you know the all these plaques on the wall y'all can't see him but when 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 he passed away i made sure that uh his memory would not fade i've got every one of his all-american plaques on my wall and as long as i'm here they're not they're not coming down i'll, I'll put mine un, under under a rock before i'll bring his down
1: well, Coach Carson was a very special person and a very strong had very strong faith as well, and that was no secret to anybody. No secret. And uh you know, he put that out there and you know, I brought him into uh UNC. We did a speed clinic and 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 Coach Carson was very basic. He was all about hard work, accountability, mm-hmm. uh and you know, his coaching style was was pretty much meat and potatoes.
2: Uh, Very much so.
1: And uh, I still have that video of his presentation at UNC when he came up there. So uh, uh, a great man, a great coach, and uh, we certainly always remember him as such.
2: Yeah, two weeks before he passed away, um, I love telling this story, but uh, he's sitting right in that chair right there. And uh, he comes into the office and he says, I'm proud of you. Coach C had never told me he was proud of me before. And it it felt so good just to hear it from him, like, because I was coaching because he told me I had the gift. Uh, Chu uh, gave me a chance to volunteer with the women. And really, I was just volunteering because it was something to do on the side. Um, I was driving the van and Chu started asking me questions about training. And I didn't realize it, but he was grooming me to assist him, just to see where my head sat and I was applying everything that coach Carson taught me. Uh, I didn't know any better than what coach Carson taught me and and it worked. So, uh, I'm applying that, uh, uh, when Chu gave me an opportunity. Um, and when I later became, uh, you know, three years into my stay with, um, full-time assistant, uh, here at ECU, um, coach Carson comes in one summer and, uh, two weeks before he passed, says I'm proud of you. And it just meant the world to me. Um, and, uh, I started to think, you know, like I'd arrived in that moment. But if you know Coach Carson, if he comes at you with a compliment soon thereafter, he's going to put you back in your seat, though. Uh, And he goes, uh, but you're getting too scientific on me. And uh, he goes, you said I didn't do any plyometrics. What do you think that short hill was? (laughs) So I sat there and I thought about it. And I go to all these (laughs) seminars and seminars. I learned from all these great minds. And when I go back and look at Coach Carson's program it had everything we needed mondays and thursdays we were running uh mondays was short hill thursdays was long hill uh tuesdays we're running stuff like six four two four six five four three two one like we're on the longer side of the interval and uh you know we're doing stuff like a bunch of 300s on friday and i think we did just, just some light tempo on wednesday but when i go back and look at it all these seminars, why I just got enamored to learn, uh, to to take what I was learning from others and apply it. Why in the world was I I I should have just stuck with Coach Cross's player? Because when I went back and looked, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The the ECUA is is awesome. The way he did it definitely worked. Absolutely, and he
1: uh, was very successful recruiting some some star sprinters. No doubt about that.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, we have uh, Lashawn Merritt uh Eugene McNeil Lee mcNeil um as I look up on the wall um our I think our school record in the four by four is three oh two that's that's pretty fast for a group of five school, no doubt, yes sir,
1: yeah, I mean my dad was uh, my football and track coach in uh <laughs> in high school I actually just i wanted to play baseball, but he wanted me to keep running because i want to try to get faster so uh mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to run a lot of 400s on a cinder track, and that's a bad memory, so.
2: Oh, my gosh, cinder's, cinder's the, the worst. worst. You know, I, I developed my coaching style. Uh, now that we're starting to get into a flow and I really reflect, I got my coaching style from my dad. So Little League football, my dad became a coach because where we live, the coaches were um, a little bit aggressive to uh, little boys of color. Uh, it was a long time ago. But uh, my dad was actually there just to um, – just to make sure that they they treated us fairly because we were definitely in an area where we were for sure. He, he worked in a way to get us in an area where we were surely the minority uh, for better education, but it was it was kind of challenging because uh didn't quite fit in. But uh, my dad became our coach, um, the defensive uh, coordinator on the teams I played in the Little League. And uh, even though we lived in a really good neighborhood, he made sure that I played for the team's um, in more challenged neighborhoods and I didn't get it, but what it was, was he was trying to be the father figure for a lot of the, um, young men who, who didn't have, um, a father. So my dad had so much patience with everyone and other coaches yelling and screaming and cussing and swearing and putting their hands on kids. It was a different time. You can't do that today, but, uh, you know, he, he would take everybody home in the back of his pickup truck by the time we got home dinner was dried up and crusty and but I saw him give of himself every day to other people and uh that I think that's why my coaching style I love him up and hug him up more than I kick their butt but I realized that I got that from my dad um, I just I give people the benefit of the doubt um just you know naturally because that's who he was but uh just a caring uh comforting protecting individual um, as you ever want to meet, but that's I think that's where I got my coaching style from. First and foremost, is my dad.
1: So track is a unique sport, and uh, you know sprinters have certain characteristics. And uh, you know, I'm sure your experience has helped you to be able to relate to them.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think <clears throat> the the fact that I was a, a walk on, uh, I don't want to hear any excuses about you can't get it done. I mean, Coach C, you put 15 pounds on me. I still to this day talk, talk stories about what we did on the bear squat jump and what we did on uh, when we got on the glute ham raise and you made us go down like as slow as we could um, to get that just slow eccentric stretch. We do the pirate pull-ups and we let ourselves down real slow. But the things that you did to our posterior chain and then to our will, um, I dare you come around 300 meters and be neck and neck with us because you're not going to be Coach Carson and Coach C's boys. We come off that curve blazing. But – uh. For sure, Um, uh, you know, God rest the soul of Coach uh, Carson. But, you know, I I appreciate everything I tell you and give you your flowers now. Thank you for everything you did for me, Coach, and everything you still do for me. I can call you whenever I need you, and you pick up in the blink of an eye. So I love you for that.
1: I appreciate that very much. Uh, You know, (laughs) I kind of had to get involved with uh, a lot of the teams back then because – we had 5000 square feet we had a football team we had uh 400 and some athletes uh, i had one full time assistant two gAs so uh I, you know, I really loved speed development so being involved with track uh you know that was something i really enjoyed along with football so uh and it really helped me over the years to become a better coach with regard to
2: uh the football players so yeah you were the first one to turn me on into uh, a lot of the a lot of the studies Uh, That we've made over the years, I think you turned me on to McFarland. I know you turned me on to Dan Path. Uh, Obviously, Boo. But uh, there were names that you were dropping far before when I, even when I got the job and thought I knew my stuff. uh, But when you came, you know, onto the scene and really uh, helped develop me, you you opened my eyes up to some literature that has really changed my life. And we're we're doing. We're we're doing some extraordinary things now, and I continue uh, to believe, and, and I know in my heart that ECU track is just going to continue to climb. Uh, yeah. You know the, you know, I guess the ladder of of recognition, but um, a lot of it has to do from what you've done for me foundationally, and um, I just hope I can keep adding to that. Well, let's talk a little bit of nuts and bolts,
1: and sure. uh, <laughs> So you know, my first question is or. or I guess you could say the first topic that I want to kind of talk about, review uh, um, application of training concepts specific to hurdlers and sprinters as applied to skilled players in the game of football. And I'll kind of preface that by going back to what I, I did before I even got involved with track coaches. So I really think I was one of the first strength coaches to, uh, open up and, and try to, to learn from as many track coaches as I possibly could, because I felt like they knew more than anybody else because I figured, well, they're sprint coaches at the division one level. I got to get out here and see what they're doing. But, uh, you know, back in the day with football players, particularly the skill guys, I want to do, I did something with speed every day. And I always did it first when the neuromuscular system was fresh Yes, now, that sir. was my perspective. So I had usually had two acceleration days. I, I had one day that I would have to call postural drilling, mm-hmm. uh, because I really felt that football players had very poor hip position and tight hip flexors much of the time because they spent half their life in a low position and uh, never knew how to open up and run, uh, right. you know, in the open field. So that was important to me too. Was postural drilling. And so I got, uh, you know, kind of a whole, uh, I guess you could say, uh, a list of postural drills from several different people that i put together over the years uh, with regard to that. And also I incorporated fast leg drills on that day as well. Um, and then I also learned, you know, over time that, you know, what acceleration is different from max V. So, you know, you don't want to do this cyclical, cyclical work if you're trying to accelerate. So that that was that oh, was man. a big uh, aha moment as well. You know, in my educational process, uh, I really always like sand work. I usually, got that done once a week. Or I do contrast pounding in the sand on flat ground.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you know, I use the ultra speed pacer that uh, Lawrence Seagrave put out uh, with regard to overspeed work, which I limited to that that to my advanced guys, which might only be about eight guys that I thought were prepared for overspeed work on a regular basis. I'm just talking about once a week. Maybe I'd expand that to 10 or 12 guys, some of the fastest guys on the team. And, uh, you know, some, some other things like a, a max velocity day, an absolute speed day, some of the techniques that i liked over the years were uh, sprint float sprint
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh ins and outs and of course i did a ton of bounding and uh a lot of different types of flying bounds and things of that nature so uh something i really had a passion for but over the years what i started to believe was you know this this is a lot different when it comes to what we're going to do for linemen what we're going to do for skill guys and then particularly what we're going to do for defensive backs because they're on the field so much with regard to speed endurance, Uh, you know, where receivers, maybe two, two platoon, three platoon, whatever, they get breaks. Uh, Defensive backs seldom get a break. Uh, And uh, so I was, I had a lot of concerns about that, but uh, let's just talk about skill players. And let's talk about off-season training for sprinters. And uh, what are the things that you hang your hat on? Uh, and I'm going to basically so – I'm, I'm going to stick to the fact that, I, that whatever you tell me, I believe it's something that skilled players in football should be doing.
2: Yes, sir. Well, I'm, I'm big on being barefoot over the summer. Um, we're always going to warm up. Uh, as long as it's warm uh, in the fall, we're going to warm up barefoot. But in the summer – one thing that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make sure that we keep our posture. So I'm doing a lot of dribble series uh, um, barefoot, um, whether it's through the the ankle, the calf, or the knee. Um, but there's a lot of dribble series. There's multi-directional hops. There's multi-directional hops in sand. Um, but I'm trying to make sure that at the same time that I ensure postural integrity, I'm also trying to make sure that there's a really good mobility, but safe mobility. So we're doing the likes of multi-directional hops in the sand, uh, split squat j- jumps, uh, pogo hops, um, but you name it, we're going through a, an array of uh, hurdle walkovers, uh, different plows in the sand, different barefoot plows in the grass, um, straight leg bound, fast leg. We're doing all types of circuits where we would transition from station to station with some type of drill that is barefoot. And then when you get to the station, when you, uh, get to a station, you have some type of, uh, core, some type of, uh, X, uh, some type of, uh, exercise, uh, calisthenic, but so I'm getting fit. I'm doing it in an array of movements, uh, because I believe if I can build strength in every range of motion, then when we get back together, it, I, I won't feel, um, like I'm putting too much on them by trying to get one range of motion. So, uh, you know, uh, and also trying to make sure we're doing a lot of stretching on the front side. We sit down so much, coach, see that we just get so tight in our hips. So I'm really, really paying attention to uh, the, the, the stretch that I'm sure you're aware of, the couch stretch when you put your foot behind you um, up against the wall. And uh, just, you know, you're in a lunge position, your back foot is either on a bench or up against the wall, and you try to get a really good stretch on your upper hip flexor, your upper quad, uh, trying to make sure that stays out of the way so that when we are running, um, our glutes can really fire and we get a good stretch on that hip flexor. But over the summer, um, I'm still sticking to my themes of throughout the week, I am short, long, active recovery, short, long, active recovery off as far as my seven days. So I'm fairly plyometric on Monday and Thursday. Um, And I have something that has a bit of an anaerobic capacity or aerobic capacity on Tuesdays and Fridays. And Wednesdays and Saturdays are a bit of my active recovery. And Sunday we're totally off. So if I use the alliteration, I would say that I'm force, I'm fit, um, I'm flexible, then I'm uh, frequency um force as well, but um then I go back to another fit day and then uh um I guess that will be another flexible day on uh on that uh Saturday and then we'll faith on Sunday.
1: Well let's go back to the lower leg a little bit Mm. because you know I kept reading that 52% of energy return comes from the lower leg during a sprint. Yep. So uh you know getting involved in different types of pogos yep oh, okay. 180s backward, forward forward backward forward
2: yes sir double
1: single and now i've got uh through sports output i've got a, a sensor that i can put on your foot and i can get feedback in relationship to uh contact time actually there's four things that the sensor will tell you contact time air time air to contact time ratio, a drive index, or peak acceleration. So it's going mm-hmm. to give you all those things, but I, you know, I look mostly at contact time. But uh, talk a little bit about the importance of lower leg development in relationship to uh, elasticity, for instance. You, you
2: better have your, – your foot better be functional um you, we literally want to work from the ground up but all that work that i was just talking about in the sand and on the grass we also do it uphill um there's different days throughout my summer cycles where i'm sending them dribble and uh bounding sequences um uphill but uh lower if if we do our job in the summer and we come in with our lower leg developed you know also working on the tibialis doing the tibialis raises um uh, the multi directional angle, uh, ankle, uh, like alphabet, uh, you know, counterclockwise and clockwise circles. Um, when you're doing like heel toe, like if this is your feet, like you're just going side to side with your feet, kind of windshield wiping your feet side to side. But if you do not, um, that you want to have an immediate response to the ground. And if your lower leg is uh, not fit for the cause, then you're going to bleed out. You're going to lose energy. You're not going to get all that, that power from the hip complex, the core that we're working on in the weight room. If your feet aren't up to par, then it's for not, it's counterproductive. So, you know, we're going to work on our feet. We're going to, you know, we're going to splay our toes out and do towel grabs and uh, you name it. But uh we're going to, I've got buckets of bolts. I'll put bolts on the ground and they'll take their feet and pick, pick up uh, the bolts and drop them in the bucket but we are going to develop our lower leg and it's going to be something that where our core and our feet are getting developed over the summer and throughout the year, but we have to make sure we come in immediately um, with the lower leg developed or you're going to find yourself um, on the beach as coach Blaney used to say. um, You know, you're you're not going to be uh, fit for for the summer. You're going to end up getting injured in fall and fall training, I guess I would say.
1: Yeah. One more thing with that. I don't think we want indiscriminate hypertrophy with the calf. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, most of the, the best sprinters I've ever seen have a tiny little calf and a yep. long Achilles. Yep. And uh, so some of the people we know uh, will tell, will coach, uh, will coach individuals not to do calf raises, but do a lot of elastic type things. Uh, with the lower leg as opposed to calf raises. So how do you feel about that?
2: So um mixed reviews because Randy Huntington crushed it with Sue. I can't pronounce his last name, but uh the 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 uh Chinese sprinter that went nine nine. Yeah. Um Randy Huntington did so much calf work. The the seated calf raises and I've been taught um if you you know, if you're going to gain mass anywhere, it better be in your in your glutes and <laughs> your in your, uh you know, your upper thigh, your upper ham and the likes. I've been taught to to leave that extra weight out of there. So he was so incredible. He's, he set the world record in the 60 on the first uh half of his uh, 100 when he ran the nine nine. He set yeah. the world record in the first 60 of that, but he petered out. So I guess, you know, there's mixed reviews there. Um I know that elasticity is the number one thing that we need to develop in the lower leg but at the same time you know can we uh look into a little bit of gaining some mass there um cuz it worked for it worked for Randy um and Sue but uh for the most part even what you taught me uh and uh C- coach Hauser coach Hauser you know tells not to uh, build up mass in the calf so
1: Yes. the uh, mad scientist Jeff Hauser
2: if with you two in the proximity, I'm probably gonna believe you guys over Randy. Not, no shade against Randy, but uh he Randy's huge on development of, of the calf. So um, you know, I guess I guess you've got a, a an argument for for every reason.
1: Okay. Uh so uh also with regard to training skill players, let's talk a little bit about uh, in season. And uh, how do you feel about – do you feel like practice is enough to maintain the speed that you have developed in the offseason or uh, wh- what do you think about in-season plyos of, to some nature or in-season absolute speed work or acceleration work? How do you feel about that with regard to football players?
2: Now, for football players, um, I would always do some type of plyo to potentiate any type of uh, sprint, um, even sub maximal sprints, just to make sure that they're hitting the ground efficiently. I think once you take away the plyo entirely, once take once you take away uh, max velocity entirely, I think they kind of forget where the ground is a bit because football is such a game of uh, they're they're always playing in a low get ready to hit somebody or get ready to get hit position. They're, they're down there so much, but when you have an opportunity to make a play where the hips are high, like um, i always say that I can turn a first down into a touchdown. If you let me, you give me a, a football player and I understand what they need to do in space in, in, uh in close quarters, but when they get in space and they need to break away, they better know how to hit the ground efficiently and find something within the line of sight and know how to run at their specific height. If you're six, one and a quarter, then you need to be running at six, one and a quarter. You don't need to let your hips sink not one iota. So I, I think that um, throughout the season, there should be some straight leg bound. There should be some straight leg bound with cycling those drills uh, where you get to fully strike up for the center mass. I would have my runners run out of it and make sure that they're still really clean with the exchange of levers, uh, arms to leg, Um, cause there comes a time where you need to look like a track athlete when you break out in the open, I understand that it's a violent sport and we don't want to be looking like Derrick Henry and Eric Dickerson in close quarters, but when you break away, you better look pretty similar or somebody's going to run you down from behind and we don't need that. We need to take it to the house. We don't need to just take it to the sticks.
1: Yeah. I mean, my point is, I just believe there's 15 or 20 guys out there that, uh, they need to have something different and something specific uh, throughout football season uh, yeah. based on what they do during the football game. So uh, they're not going to do enough,
2: Coach C, in a game. They're not going to hit the what what we're talking about, where the positions we want them to hit. If they don't hit them in practice, they're not going to hit them enough in a game to retain them. You've got to keep tasting it throughout the season or they're going to lose – you know, an understanding of where the ground is for max V max V's a skill. And, yeah. you know, like you said, you, you got a couple of bullets. I know you got them cannonballs down low, <laughs> but you're going to want some bullets that can, that can take the roof off the, off the sucker. So by all means, man, that, that handful of guys that you're cycling in, I'd have a wide out. I'd have a, I'd have some wide outs that would just cycle in every so often and just test the free safety. If they had a free safety in there too long, I would keep shooting deep at him with some fresh legs and knew how to run. Sooner or later, I'm going to look at him, and you can look up in the stands and let me know, and I'll wink at you and let you know when he's primed and ready for the taking. But I'd set him up like that. Most people don't know how to run effectively and efficiently. By the time they get to the fourth quarter, if they don't know how to, and the people that know how to can take take advantage of them if you do it properly. But, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. You know these things.
1: Yeah, I just really believe that uh, if you if you really want to have fast people, uh, that you have to consider what you're going to be doing in season and not take every single person on your team through the same exact conditioning, the same exact type of work uh, throughout the week. I think there has to be special consideration for those athletes that need to run fast and those guys you're you're counting on from game to game uh, to make big plays for you, you know, keeping them healthy, right. uh, keeping their uh, proprioception, elasticity, all those types of things. You know, of course, we we talked about coming off heavy squats in season. We've had, had that discussion. And also uh, uh, that's something that track athletes will do and substitute ballistics uh, for a lot of the heavy work. You know, I still like some unilateral work with regard to strength and some posterior chain work, but you know, at the same time, uh, that's another thing for consideration as well. So
2: if next you thing, remember, you remember coach, I, I know you do, but just to make sure that people understand what you're saying here, I remember a season where we were having that discussion and, uh, you had so much to do, but you, you, you heard my cry. I went to your office. Next thing I know you took over for like three weeks. And you had us doing violent step ups. You had us doing uh, depth jumps, uh, bear squat jumps, uh, really light and out of nowhere, just from doing unilateral explosive stuff. When We put those three weeks in that fourth week. We qualified. I don't know how many people to go to regionals just off of the work that you're talking about. So, um, you know, that unilateral work, those those violent, you know, those step ups. Uh, the, the prison squat jumps, split squat jumps, depth jumps, box jumps, um, just, just t- touching them. Um, man, it woke up something in us and the kids literally knew where the ground was. They hit it in perfect timing and their speed started to snowball and they carried their speed so deep into the race and they PR left and right when you took over that year. Good to hear, man. Good to hear. Yes, sir. Uh, next thing. I want to
1: talk about uh, resistant acceleration work. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on hill work, uh, sled work. Of course, you know, I started using run rockets because I thought they were very efficient for large groups of individuals. Yes, sir. You ro- rotate people in so quickly. And now what I see is, uh, at least that's what I think I'm seeing, is that a lot of heavier sleds for sh- very short work and then... In relationship, the body weight uh, would decrease in weight depending on how far you're going to run with a sled, maybe, yes, up to, maybe up to 40 meters. But uh, talk a little bit about that.
2: So I build up, part of my lower leg development is to start in the stadium. Um, uh, that's my first uh, resisted effort. But I progressed from the stadium to uh, Grass Hill, my grass hill starts with a very steep incline for my tens. Uh, then I go to twenties and thirties, but my twenties and thirties, the hill starts to get a little more shallow. Um, the way I progress my acceleration is uh, the first cycle we're doing tens, twenties, and thirties. The next cycle we're doing fifteens, twenty-fives, thirty-fives, 20s, 30, 40s, and then 25, 35, 45 are my first four months of progression. The way that the the sleds work, uh um, we go from stadium to hill to grass hill, then we go to sled on the grass, and then we go to sled on the track, and then we go to contrast sled where it's sled, sled, no sled, 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 sled no sled, or maybe sometimes two values of sled and two values of no sled. But we start off in the stadium during uh, captain's practice only because of the eight-hour rule that they have and the additional 14 days off with the NCAA. Uh, stay compliant. They do a lot of uh, stadium work on their own in the beginning, but once they get with me, we're hitting a really uh, steep and short hill, ensuring that we're pushing back because you can't get uphill unless you're pushing back. Um, that establishes an awareness. And, and now mind you coach, we're doing this in spikes on the grass. Yeah. We're doing it in spikes because your spikes make you get on the best part of your foot. You put on a shoe and for whatever reason, A kid will run on the worst part of their foot if you put them in a trainer. But you put them in a spike, they almost have no choice. So I'm running up grass hills uh, in spikes, and then that uh, eventually turns into sled on the grass in spikes. And then eventually that turns into, um, again, a loaded sled on the track. Um, The heavy sled that you're talking about, I especially use it for those that are afraid to kind of let their hips sink in. Uh, you know how you want to, if, if your hips are, if your glutes are engaged, if your hips are engaged, if you've got triple extension, um, if everything is is bone on bone, as I like to say, you can really push back into your center mass. So the heavier the sled, uh, the likely it is, more likely it is that you can teach them how to push back and be more patient and fill the positions. But if the sled's too light right away, they're probably going to overstride, coach. Um, They're going to end up landing in front of the center mass, being on the ground forever. So I like to start off pretty steep and pretty heavy just to make sure that they're hitting uh, where I want them to hit. And then on top of that, we've got a biomechanics team, the kinesiology department with Patrick Ryder. They come out and uh, film us to make sure we're hitting our positions so that they understand not just what it looks like, but in between sets, talk about it and then before long understanding the cue that goes along with the field, um, so that they can do it right without the sled as we kind of wean them off of the weight.
1: I think it's a great point, uh, to run in spikes. And I think that's something that definitely, uh, we need to have football players, skilled football players do a lot of, uh, because their foot strike needs a lot of work. And,
2: uh, Remember, you and, used to have could... a whole bucket of spikes that they used to share, didn't they? Yeah, well, you yeah, used I used to have a, a bunch of <laughs> spikes in the um
1: Well, I used them yeah. when I timed guys indoor, you know, because I wanted them to have the the best opportunity to have the best time possible. And whenever I, I uh, timed guys, I wanted to have the exact same conditions and same shoe wear, same surface that would tell me if somebody got faster or not. Uh, because you got so many things to deal with outside, you know, especially on the fields we had back in the 90s, for instance. You know, nothing was real consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do remember one team in the 90s I had 26 guys who were sub four six. And, uh, you know, those guys were very successful on the football field as well. So, uh, but I, you know, I attribute that, of course, to all the speed work that we
2: constantly did. Um, so looking at, uh, I still have two of your, I still have two of your run Rockets. Uh, when you departed, um, they, uh, they didn't know what to do with them or didn't want them. Uh, you know, they changed the weight room, Yeah. uh, from the tracks no longer there. So they didn't know what to do with the run Rockets. They gave two to me and I still use them. I, the one thing that I negated to state was I also utilize, uh, within those progressions, especially for, uh, You know, the the extra genie keeps the same uh, resistance from, you know, no matter what you do. So I utilize the extra genie um, and I use the run rocket, especially um, when I'm trying to hurry up and get things going. Because like you said, the the turnaround on extra genie on a a run rocket is incredible. You know, you can just you can have a couple of them and you can just by the time people go through, they get the rest um, that you need. And the same thing for the extra genie cause you just have the interchangeable, um, cords. But, uh, by all means, I am going to load my resistance all year long. Uh, it might get lighter as the season goes on, um, for certain aspects of training, but I'm always going to load a cell coach. Well,
1: let me ask you this. Uh, let's say you got to train offensive lineman. Uh mm-hmm. we're going to go fly in 10 meters or maybe just 10 meters from a, some type of a uh, crowd start or three point start or whatever we want to use. But, uh, you know, what, how do you feel about that in relationship to how much weight they should be used uh, relative to body weight uh, to be able to have a productive result?
2: I think that for now for, for linemen, um, this is, this is interesting because I've never done it before, but as you, as you tell me that because the skill of running, of sprinting, is a skill that they don't get to touch much. I would not put the type of weight on them that didn't allow them to get into the shapes that you wanted them to get in, like for pulling guard. Um, when they're, when a lineman needs to close I I wouldn't want to get them too far away from what sprinting feels like. Um, because, uh, I, I think that that is a problem that they have. Their hips are always fairly tight coach cause they're, if anyone's going to be in a crouch position, it's going to be them most of the time. So I think in order to free them up and let them get open a little bit, I don't know that I would be heavy as much, maybe just for the initial impulse to make sure they knew how to fire. But um, I would also um, just some of the more dynamic movements of, you know, the, the, the drilling, the hurdle hopping, low hurdles, um, some of the box jumps, uh, the multi-directional hops, making sure that they were a little more athletic because almost everything to do is on their square. But when you talk about sprinting, that's getting off of their square. So as yeah. I kind of go into my own imagination, um, I would want to make sure that they had the skill of sprinting down because if they don't, them jokers might pull coach.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they work in limited space and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and
2: I, and I, I know you mean ten meters. I understand that aspect, but I'm still saying the I, I'm always gonna. You're the first person that I ever heard say whip from the hip, and it's. I know you might have gotten it from someone, but
0: yeah, when I did. I think
2: <laughs> of when when I when I think of sprinting, um, there it's not just what you put into the ground. It's just like your post chop series. You cannot run one leg at a time. And if the sled is too freaking heavy, they're probably gonna be running one leg at a time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're gonna teach them to switch, you know, you're gonna get them some coordination in that area. I'm I'm probably thinking that post-chop series, and I'm thinking the the triple switches and the you know the bounce switches and and things of that nature, and uh doing those drills and then. Coming off of those drills with, with, uh, to see how they transition into actual sprinting. Um, I'm thinking coordination on that end, coach, because they do plenty of power. God knows.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, coordination, uh, is, is important. And, uh, a lot of times people won't do, they'll limit the things they do with linemen because they just have some type of assumption that they don't have coordination, which is not true at all. And, uh, you know, I had a, I had a young man named Jason Brown of Carolina who could do pretty much any drill you could think of and look good doing it. And of course that's why he went to the NFL and made a bunch of money, but, uh,
2: you got a lot of those see. coach on your resume. <laughs> I <gotta see> Maybe. <laughs> uh, so we we'll
1: look at, uh, next thing, just, uh, let's, let's talk about posture, integrity, hip position, uh, You know, basically, we want to get out of an anterior pelvic tilt position. That's what I say, the body fat and anterior pelvic tilt are the enemies of of speed. And uh, I don't think a lot of people understand uh, that that, that's basically the position that we want, even when we're coming out of blocks initially. We want that straight line from head to contact foot. And then the the body is going to be on the rise as we go. Uh, through the acceleration pattern, but you know just just hit on that for for a second.
2: I don't know if you remember um, but I came into your office one day and I asked what is the most important aspect um, what 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 is something that we had to hunt down and we had to establish if we were going to be fast? and you said a neutral hip girdle, I think it was uh, you said a neutral hip position. And so, since uh, I knew that already, but you know, when you say it, it's it's you know, might as well be red letters in the Bible to me. Um, but um, I, I I know for certain, um, and I'll stand up uh, just to see if the camera can get it, but uh, probably not. I'm not up high enough. But if you if you bend over, you can't squeeze your glutes. You can't do it. If you try to bend, if anybody listening to this podcast bend over and try to squeeze your glutes. You can't do it. If you can't squeeze your glutes and you can't use your glutes, get your hips out of the way so your glutes can be engaged so you can actually do something off of it. I challenge you to do another thing. Stand on your left leg, let it be slightly bent and try to lift your right leg as high as you can. You can't. As soon as you engage that leg entirely and you post up really hard on that leg, all of a sudden the, the free swinging leg or the leg in the air has the opportunity uh, again to lift higher. So when we're accelerating, if you don't get triple extension, then the other leg has nothing to work off of. The reason we want triple extension and the reason we want uh, great postural integrity is so that the free swinging leg has something optimal to work off of. So um you know if you don't if you don't want to do it then don't. Then my guys are going to beat yours. But the goal is to make sure that we have a uh, great posture So that everything that leaves the ground has something solid to work off of before we get back to the ground, right? One
1: hundred percent. And whip from the hip is a Franz Bosch. uh, Mm. That's a (laughs)
0: Franz Bosch
2: uh, concept. Yes, sir. You cannot whip from the hip from a if you don't have great postural integrity. You ain't whipping from nothing. Your leg's gonna get so far behind you if you if you're if you have postural integrity your hips are slightly tilted up and your glutes are firing, your, your swing leg won't get too far behind you and you'll have more time to get to the front side and, you know, you'll get that, that femur to table and you'll have more room to, you know, go down into the ground. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I am I'm want a very flexible and firing hip flexor. Uh, I want my glutes firing. If, if I have those things, then as soon as I hit the ground, I can let that leg fold as quick as I need it to, have enough time to get my my femur up in the air. I'll be high and tight and be in a position to murk the ground. That's what I'm looking for. Let me ask you this. Do track coaches use GPS? Um, So Patrick Ryder um, is uh, the co-chair down in our kinesiology department. And uh, we use timing gates and uh, we use camera. But uh, he also has the little uh, uh, kind of like a sports bra almost where they put a GPS in it. um, And he asked, did we want to use it in the future? And I said, hey, man, you're you're the guy. Um, You know, if you want to use it, go for it. Uh, Because right now in our speed sessions, when we're doing our flying 10s, 20s and 30s, um, we film that window and we immediately find out what our meters per second is. Per seconds uh, were. Um, but then he can go back afterward and see um, if he missed anything. Um, he can go back and look at the uh, GPS and give us more value. So we have the opportunity to, but he's not yet utilized them. So I know there are some that do, uh, but primarily what I know is that our soccer team uses them extensively, um, yeah. they put them on everyone. And they try to see what they you know. I I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that I'm not totally aware of, but I imagine that you just wanna see um what their closing speed is and how they're finishing plays and the like and what um I don't well, know the vo- the volume
1: of work in a certain day, you know, but uh you used them when you used them on us. Remember well, when I mean we, we started to use them. I mean uh I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a coach that believes in the art of coaching. So I believe when I watch people run, I can tell if they're running fast or not, or I can tell if they're running full speed or not. And that's one of the reasons I like to watch practice. But at the same time, this has been a very valuable tool since it came out In in the eyes of a lot of individuals with regard to how much volume you have during practice with a certain position group or whatever. And, and, uh, but one day I was uh, watching. I think it was NC State game. We were talking about they got a linebacker running 23 miles an hour, and I'm like, "Holy cow! That's pretty fast."
2: I don't, I don't know. That's Keaton Mitchell fast. I'm that's crazy. Getting, I haven't
1: really, th- I haven't really heard of too many people running 23 miles an hour. You know, with with regard to football players, but especially a linebacker. But uh, you know, was, that was that's pretty fast. So, uh, so yeah, I was just curious if you know, how that was working within the uh, uh, the realm of track. With we have to-
2: access. We have access. We've just not, um, we've not utilized it. But every Monday and Thursday, Monday is our A-cell um, day, and Thursday is our max velocity day. Um, so yeah. we're flying sprints on Thursday, and we're A-cell um, on Monday in the fall. Um, in the spring, uh, my Monday, I alternate my A-cell and my max v and I hit uh, kind of my special endurance on my intensive tempos on Thursday because we uh, – um, uh, excuse me, on Wednesday because we run Friday and Saturday. So I pretty much get everything out of the way on the front half of the week. Um, yeah. In, in the spring.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about speed endurance for defensive backs. Uh, Offseason, uh, you know, moving into the end season – because personally, I believe it should be different for them. But uh, what thoughts would you, might you have there in relationship to what might help them? Because there's not normally a great uh, level of depth with regard to corners, for instance. You're out there looking for a lockdown corner, and you're lucky if you can find two, right? And you're not very, uh, you're kind of reluctant to take them off the field. So, uh, you know, what kind of thoughts do you have there?
2: I think for the skill acquisition day, I would stick to um, the recovery uh, of a full recovery. Um, however, because there's no such thing as full recovery in football, I think the other day um, I would throw at them a barrage of uh, the end of the rest interval would be somewhat like football where, you know, hurry up off going up against a hurry up offense. um, Just, uh, just different things within uh, the scenario of the game uh, where you're still using the speed, but within the parameters of, you know, how the game would go before the skill acquisition of actually sprinting and knowing how to do it. um, I don't think that you should push the limits uh, where, Um, the rest is, is just, is, is too, uh, minimal. I would give ultimate rest, uh, when you're looking at the full acquisition of upright, uh, sprinting, getting to the fastest you can run. So, um, for me, um, like you said, after recovery day, um, uh, after an off day, Sunday, your neuromuscular system in in the off season should be pretty fresh to go into Monday. So I'm throwing down on Monday, but, uh, you know, when you get around to it for me on Thursday, which is my next day of, of, uh, speed, um, I do realize that, um, you know, not as fresh as I was on, uh, on Monday. So that might be the day that I I do a little bit more, um, along the lines of, uh, speed endurance, uh, the way that a football game would run. So I'm probably throwing a barrage of, of distances, um, you know, football plays what, what you know i'm not a football player coach but i imagine you're working 25 meters and down for the most part 30 meters and down when you're talking db
1: well i mean dbs do a lot of different things i mean you know <laughs> i remember i played db in college i was actually what you called back then a strong corner so i went to strong formation you know I, you know and basically uh you know, hey you gotta run with a post maybe you cover three you're gonna run with a post you're gonna, here comes an out and up and you're gonna force on a run and then you gotta get to run another post. where, well, I mean, you know, you yeah, even though it wasn't a, a, a no-huddle offense, you know, you, you you better be working that glycolytic energy system first of all. You know, yes, sir.
2: Back.
0: Yes, sir. Um, that that's that's gonna, the key.
1: Yeah, nobody's gonna tell me you don't get
2: into that glycolytic energy system if you play DB. And yeah, 100 so, uh, percent Very yeah, exactly. I, no no rest. Like there's there'd be a day where there's no rest. And, you know, as I sit here and think about all the different patterns that could be run within that person's uh, island that they have to protect, um, I would every pattern you could think that they might have to cover, I'm throwing it at them until until there's nothing left. And when there's nothing left, we'll pull him to the side, bring in the next guy or, or how we would do it. But there would be a day where um, I would see how well he could keep his skill of, of movement because it's it's not just speed endurance like uh you know A to B like it is with me. You know, y'all have A, B, C, D, E, F, G <laughs> as far as with you know, change of direction, deceleration, receleration. Yes, sir.
1: Yeah, another thing too is uh getting efficient at running backwards. Mm. You know, nobody ever times anybody running backwards but I think it could have some value and particularly, uh, of course, being able to flip your hips. That's huge. You know, going backwards to, to forward running. So, uh, so yes, yeah, you know, those are some of the things that I think about, uh, that I think should be cutting edge thoughts. Um, so, uh, those are kind of the major things that I had that, that I wanted to talk about. So, uh, what I'd like to hear more about is your family, how everybody's doing.
2: Everybody's and, uh, doing great, man.
1: Uh, what's I'm that? Sorry. Go ahead,
2: go ahead, Coach. Go ahead.
1: No, I mean I, I know you know. I just remember you know your wife had gone through some things, and and uh, and you know, and you're always talking to me about your you know your family and so forth. So I'd, I'd like to hear more about it. You know, what's going on now?
2: Yeah. Um. Thank you for asking. Um. My wife is still my rock. Love with all my heart. Uh, Chantel, you know her well. Um, as you stated, she'd been through some things. My wife's a cancer survivor. And uh, it's the strongest. Uh, I've never seen in person the level of strength that she had when she uh, faced cancer. And someone that was just so faithful to God throughout. Uh, while she had cancer, um, she said to me, uh, you don't I think I know what I want to do with my life. And I'm kind of thinking, like, what do you mean? Like, you know, we're. We're older now, and what you want to do with your life, you know, by now, usually, you know, you're kind of in your bag. And she said, I want to be a nurse. She said, I want to take my testimony of beating cancer. Hadn't beat it yet, but I want to take my testimony of beating cancer um, into the hospital. So um, she decides to uh, enroll, work full time, uh, go to school to be a nurse, and still didn't miss a beat. Um, being a, a wife and being a mother, um, but she faced that thing head on. And every morning uh, I just hear Tasha Cobbs blasting in the bathroom while she's showering and she's making her faith confessions. And I never saw her cry. She'd say, "Um, I'd hear her say this too, shall pass. And coach hair, no hair on her head, eyelashes, eyebrows, fingernails fell off. Still just as beautiful to me the way she just handled it. But um, she just, um, she, she just had so much strength. And I wanted to be there for a coach and, and take uh some of the burden away from her. She wouldn't let me. So uh, you know, our good friend uh um the voice of the pirates comes up to me and he says, uh, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't let her uh, I mean, you leave her alone. She's fighting right now. And and that's how she's, you know, Jeff told me, you know, she's yeah. fighting, you leave her alone. And that's what I did. I just stayed in the cut. I watched her uh, fight uh, through, and it was just beautiful. But we have two amazing children. Uh, Alyssa, she's playing volleyball, just finished playing volleyball at uh, South Central. She's a senior uh, trying to figure out where she's going to go to college. And my son's uh, uh, straight, a, both of them straight-A students. My son is uh, goes to A.G. Cox, just started playing tackle football, and uh, he plays the saxophone. But uh, my family is just uh, just this that's my that's my safe place. It's my safe place. When I get off work, I'm not lacking for love when I come home <laughs> at all.
1: That's awesome. It's great to hear. And Jeff uh Jeff Charles, of course, we were talking about, you know, he hooked me into uh intervenous mistletoe when I had the melanoma uh surgery. Mm-hmm. So I went out to Durango, Colorado, the same place he had been. And that uh, yeah, was good. It was good, good thing. So, uh, we, you know, we all, always, uh, we all miss Jeff.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
1: Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'll do it again. I'm going to do a couple more segments on speed. I think I'm going to get Boo on here uh, sometime in the near future, maybe next week. And uh, that should be a very interesting conversation.
0: Definitely Definitely
1: one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. So uh, I always love talking (laughs) to (laughs) you. But uh, thank you very much. Be talking to you soon. And uh, so this is Jeff Connors from Absolute Empowerment uh, signing off. God bless. We'll see you next week. Thanks a lot.
0: Love you, Coach. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media, at the sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram, like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show. And go, Pirates!